Miss Plus acknowledges the traditional owners of the land this podcast has been recorded on, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respect to their elders, past, present and emerging. Hello and welcome to the MS Class podcast, the podcast series where we talk about all things related to living well with MS. My name's Jess and on today's episode, we're going to be talking about sleep. And so a poet from the 1600s, Thomas Decker, once said, sleep is the golden chain that ties health and our bodies together. And I think he was absolutely right. Getting enough sleep is so important for our overall health and general well-being. And a lot of the research tells us that poor sleep can really seriously affect a person's quality of life, as well as increasing their risk for developing, you know, certain chronic health conditions. So on today's episode, I'm lucky enough to be speaking with Carla Butler from Aura Sleep Coaching. Carla's passion for sleep coaching was sparked by her own personal tragedy after her father passed away due to chronic disease, partly caused by his poor sleep health. And Carla knew that she needed to take action to protect her own health and longevity. So through her own journey to better sleep, Carla has gained a wealth of knowledge and expertise that she now uses to help others live better lives through private coaching, public workshops, and corporate seminars. So Carla is a sleep and recovery coach and a women's health coach. So hi, Carla. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Jess. It's lovely to be here. (laughs) Great. So tell me, why is sleep so important? Oh my gosh, so many reasons. So essentially, if you sort of think about it, our lives are really split into two parts, right? We have this part where, you know, we're active, we're outputting energy, we're doing stuff. And so, of course, we need to recover, rest and rejuvenate from all that. And that, of course, is when we sleep. So when we sleep, we have benefits in terms of focus and concentration it helps with our impulse control, our decision-making. It aids with regulation of emotions. It helps with weight management for a variety of reasons. And, you know, there's mental elements to it. So it helps with memory, learning, etc. And of course, physical elements as well in terms of training and recovery. And it's really just so, so important because without it, we really can't function as I guess well as we should be during the day yeah absolutely and so why do so many people struggle with sleep issues like this is an incredibly common problem isn't it yeah absolutely I mean for the clients that I see quite often it is related to stress and sort of mental alertness or mental arousal so if you think about sort of sitting in front of the computer intaking all of this content quite often it might be work content or it might be social media content that's really elevating that mental alertness and to switch our brains off and go to sleep that actually takes time so and then of course the other element of it is just general life stresses so you know elevated chronic stress of course impacting sleep and I do I do wonder if COVID sort of brought all this to the forefront as well. Of course, you have people where, and and I was one of these, all of a sudden there's no structure to your life. You're sitting at home. You're, for, for a lot of people, their bedrooms also became their offices, depending on their 
on their environment. And so all of a sudden, not only are you working longer hours at home, you've got your device right here in front of you all of the time, but there's actually no separation between things like work and personal life. And the other element of of sleep issues that I quite often see is where people have had a an event, an experience, or even a trauma that has affected their sleep in some way. And they've put a sort of a, a behavior in place to manage it at that time. And it's worked for a short period, but over time, it's actually caused the sleep to worsen and exacerbated the issue. So lots of things that can can sort of feed into this. And so when we're talking about people having sleep issues, I guess the thing that for me that springs to mind is people talk about insomnia, but when we're talking sleep issues, like what sort of range of problems are we talking about? Yeah, absolutely. So something I hear often is people complaining about waking up during the night. It's actually not waking up that's the issue. It's whether you can fall back asleep or not, right? So if you're waking up four to five times a night, that's actually not a problem unless it's taking you more than a couple of minutes to fall back asleep. So I guess something that I'd like to to normalize is that waking up during the night is normal and that is okay as long as you can fall back to sleep. So the issue then comes when you do wake up during those times and quite often the brain is flicking on and you just start thinking, ruminating, making to-do lists, planning. And that's where it becomes a problem because you'll lie in bed thinking, you know, you're awake and you're essentially kind of building in this habit of being awake in bed thinking. And that can sometimes just get worse and worse over time. Definitely. That's something I guess I hear quite frequently from people with MS laying in bed and then sort of being very aware that they're not asleep and it's that almost anxiety cycle of being anxious that you're not sleeping but you're awake because you're anxious that you're not sleeping. Absolutely and it's a vicious cycle because as you say you're then stressing out that you're not sleeping, you're counting down thinking about how many hours am I not getting. I mean there's a couple of things that are really important if that is a challenge for someone. So one is that you don't stay in bed and worry and think and what have you, you actually kind of want to, I guess, break that cycle of of doing that wakeful activity in bed and get up, do something relaxing. I kind of call it a circuit breaker. So you're basically getting up, going somewhere else, doing something relaxing, and then going back to bed. And the other one is uh, thinking about not clock watching not picking up devices, things like that, because it's when you sort of start clock watching and really kind of counting down, that's when you sort of see that anxiety level increase because depending on what you've got on during the next day, you'll be thinking, oh gosh, I've only got five hours sleep. How am I going to be able to do that presentation, show up like I should be at work? How am I going to manage the kids, et cetera? So stepping away from worrying about the time and just getting up, doing something relaxing, jumping back into bed. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned just then clock watching and picking up your phone. Like is that an issue as well for maybe to do with like the light source and people that that are on their phone at night time? Yeah, absolutely. And there's a couple of things with device usage or phone usage. So 
Absolutely. The blue light can inhibit the release of melatonin, which of course we need to sleep. But the other element of it is the actual content you're consuming. So you might be scrolling through social media and sort of feeling like it's relaxing, perhaps, but it can actually cause that mental alertness as well. So that is then going to cause you to potentially have difficulties falling back asleep. So it's kind of, there's two sides to that. That's really interesting when you um, point that out. It's not just the light, but the content as well. One thing that I've heard uh, fairly often is people who might fall asleep before it's their sort of intended bedtime. So, you know, maybe someone's accidentally fallen asleep on the couch or, you know, had a bit of a nap. What's your sort of view on that and how that can have an impact on sleep? Yeah, absolutely. So there is actually a common misconception that falling asleep easily or quickly means that someone is a a great sleeper and it's not true. So if you are someone that tends to fall asleep super easily like that, then it often means that you are underslept. So ideally, if someone is falling asleep on the couch, ideally you'd like to sort of catch yourself before you get to that point and make sure you get into bed particularly if someone is having trouble falling asleep once they're in bed, but they can fall asleep on the couch. That's really indicative of someone who is underslept, but you've probably got this entrainment in place where the couch is a relaxing spot. For whatever reason, the bed is not the place that your brain associates sleep with. So we need to kind of retrain that. And the way we do it is we go to bed when we're sleepy. If we're in bed and we can't sleep, we get up and we go somewhere else then after a short period or when we feel sleepy, we go back to bed. It's almost like adult sleep training. It's, it actually is. So it's funny, I, I have a few friends who are actually, you know, pediatrics or child sleep coaches and many of the strategies are very, very similar. So for anyone that's having sleep problems that has kids <laughs> and has gone through that process, just think back to what you did with your kids when they were little. And if you start implementing some of those things, you'll probably find that you might be able to solve some of your sleep issues. <laughs> that is so interesting. Yeah. yeah. And so I guess with looking at sleep and sort of the, the links to health and that is so apparent in so many different areas. And you mentioned this a little bit of your own story, you know, with the the sad passing of, of your father. What do we sort of know about the link between sleep and chronic disease? Yeah, absolutely. So unfortunately, lack of sleep is, as you mentioned, linked to chronic disease. So cardiovascular disease, type 2 diabetes, And that's around uh, your body being unable to process sugar as well as it should. Cancer. So it can be really impactful. And I think that it's, it's not as understood as well as it should by the general population. We're sort of, I think there's a feeling that, you know, sleep is just this thing that we do. It's just rest. And therefore, it's often not prioritized, but it's not just rest. You know, there are so many processes that are happening during that time. There's brain clearing. There's, you know, your heart actually has to rest and recover as well. So that's why your resting heart rate drops to give it a break. If you're not sleeping well, your resting heart rate is not dropping. Your blood pressure is not dropping. So your heart does not get the recovery it needs. And of course, that's why we see that link to cardiovascular health. So it is it is just so 
so important. I wish I wish more people understood it, but that's why I do stuff like this. You're so right. You know, maybe the sort of general view on sleep is it is just a, it's a thing we do that makes us feel good. But when you read like the statistics on the effects of sleep apnea, can you talk a little bit about sleep apnea? Because that's quite a common issue for people, isn't it? Absolutely. And so sleep apnea, essentially, when your your airway closes during sleep, so you know, cutting off oxygen. For some people, this is happening, you know, I think... I think a low apnea is something like 15 times an hour. <laughs> it's it's crazy. So for some people, this is, you know, you're, you're, you're barely breathing. And it does have really strong links to cardiovascular health as well. It's an interesting one for me because at, I'm, obviously I'm not a um, allied health practitioner, but as part of my practice, I do a very high level screening for underlying medical conditions that may relate to sleep because of course if someone's coming in with any sort of risk of sleep apnea the first thing I need to do is ask them to speak to their GP and it is interesting that the demographic that is supposed to be most at risk of sleep apnea is older males older overweight males but in my experience I've met plenty young females who are of a uh, I guess a, a standard weight who have actually been diagnosed with sleep apnea. So I think we need to probably step away from the assumption that you have to be an older, overweight male because it's just not true. And I also have conversations with people where I've said, have you thought about sleep apnea? And they've said, oh, yeah, I've definitely got sleep apnea. (laughs) But they don't want to go and actually have it diagnosed That does just sound like when we've just talked about what sleep is actually doing for your body, maybe people aren't sort of realizing like the effect that it's having. It's not just for you to have a nice little break and feel refreshed in the morning. Your body's literally doing some serious work overnight. So that's really interesting. It's actually quite scary. And because I have this, I guess, personal connection. So my dad passed away quite young, unexpectedly, and he was diagnosed later in life with sleep apnea. Now that I know so much more about it, I'm positive he he always had it because he has always snored, did always snore so, so, so loud, was always tired, also had a couple of other lifestyle factors that would have contributed to that. So drinking and and smoking, because that's what you did back then. And so because I have this personal connection, when I have these conversations with people, I I actually get a little bit upset. Like it just makes me think, you know, you're essentially going to put some of your family in a place that that I've been in. You know, you're going to check out early. You don't want to wear a CPAP machine. There are other options. So, you know, for anyone who is worried about the CPAP machine, I know there are other options. So, but if you could do something to, I guess, avoid checking out early, and leaving your family behind. Yeah, absolutely. I guess like that is a a massive consideration you would think for people. But, you know, even if it's things like sleep and it's sort of effect on things like people's physical performance, is that a factor that occurs? Yeah, absolutely. So in underslept people, we see things like reaction times reduced. We see sprinting times reduced. Thinking about strength, we see power reduced. So this was tested in uh, bench press, deadlift, and I think it was a leg press. So you have all of these physical aspects as well. And 
even when we look at the specifics of I guess the positives so they did some there were some studies done on athletes and they saw when athletes were adding a couple of hours a night's sleep there were swimmers who were faster at swimming they were faster off the blocks so their reaction times had improved tennis players their serving accuracy improved and they also looked at basketball players so again speed improved and accuracy of shooting improved it's incredible it's incredible. It is fascinating when you think about just getting a bit of extra sleep and the benefits it could provide for you that you could see in your day-to-day life. It's just fascinating. So now that we sort of know, I guess, you know, why it's so important, why it's so critical and people know about sleep and, and good sleep health, how do we get better sleep? Do you have tips on how people can achieve a, a good night's rest? Yeah, absolutely. So it definitely differs from person to person. It depends on sort of their lifestyle and I guess what they have available to them in terms of their time, their schedule, etc. But one of the really important things that a lot of people are missing is just getting outside, viewing morning sunlight, resetting that circadian clock, that internal body clock each day, because that's how our body knows that it's, you know, time to go. So That's one that I try to encourage everyone to do. And it just feels great. And for anyone who actually has this as a regular practice in their life, and and I know this as well, and I've spoken to many people that are the same, when you are used to getting that morning sunlight and you miss it, like you feel terrible. You actually feel really out of sorts because it also provides focus, concentration as well. So that's one that I always recommend. And I mean, it's free. Sometimes it can be tricky to kind of add into your morning, depending on what you've got going on. But all it takes is five minutes, five minutes with your coffee out on the balcony or perhaps a walk around the block, jumping off the train or tram a stop early and just walking those last five minutes to work. So it can be brought in hopefully reasonably easily for most people. And it's good to, you know, get that vitamin D as well. Absolutely. Also, so many benefits from getting sun at any time in the day. The other one I always recommend is because many of the clients I see do have a challenge around stress and mental alertness is really thinking about what you're doing in the lead up to bed, particularly if you are someone who has trouble falling asleep or if when you wake uh, either during the night or early in the morning and can't fall back asleep. So that's often related to stress. So really thinking about having some sort of stress management, I guess, strategy, activity during the day, but then also thinking about what you're sort of doing for that last hour of your evening. So in terms of lighting, in terms of the content you're consuming, are you doing something relaxing to really help kind of dampen down that alertness? Because if you're staring at your work laptop or staring at your phone right up until the last second that you turn the lights out, that is probably going to contribute to having difficulty falling asleep. Or when you wake later, your brain just flicks on just like that. And would you say, is it important to have like a regular bedtime so going to bed at the same time each night how that sort of work yeah absolutely so our circadian rhythm our internal body clock it essentially governs every process in our body and it works like a clock right these processes all 
happen or like to happen at the same time every day. So that includes things like peak mental alertness, peak strength, when your body is uh, most ready to digest, and of course, sleep and wake as well. So ideally, we wouldn't be changing our bed wake times by more than about 30 minutes each day. And saying that, there's no problem with having a big sleep in once in a while. But if you're doing that consistently every weekend, so for example, if you are staying up late on a Friday night, sleeping in on a Saturday morning, staying up late on a Saturday night, sleeping in on a Sunday morning, when you get to Monday, you've effectively shifted your circadian clock. So if anyone does struggle on Monday mornings, they might want to look at what they're doing yep. during the weekend and <laughs> maybe just play with those timings, right? Because yeah, it's it's it potentially makes life really difficult. So but what I hear you saying though is we can still have a sleep in every once in a while. Absolutely. And actually, and also naps. There's absolutely no problem with having a nap as well. If you are someone who tends to sleep okay during the night, so you fall asleep fine, but you just find for whatever reason, maybe you've had a really bad sleep one night or you maybe get seven hours, but you feel like you need some more sleep. There's no problem with having a nap. Just keep it sort of no later than sort of three o'clock-ish and keep it under half an hour. But absolutely, big advocate of naps. That's a great tip, especially, again, a lot of people with MS, even just managing fatigue, being able to have a nap. I've heard a lot of people worry about whether that's going to then affect their sleep at night. So it's good to know that does fit in with having good sleep. Absolutely. And again, it's individual, right? So play with it have a nap knowing that, oh, it might muck up tonight's sleep, but okay, at least you've tried it and now you know. And you can also play with the timing, so maybe it needs to be a little bit earlier. The reason that that naps can sometimes affect evening sleeps is due to sleep pressure. So essentially you've got sleep pressure building for all of your waking moments, and then once you nap, that sleep pressure dissipates. So it's a little bit like hunger, right? You get hungrier and hungrier, you have a little snack. Oh, I had my snack too late, now I'm not hungry enough for dinner or I had my snack early enough and now I can have dinner. So it's the same sort of thing. So it might be a case for someone to bring that nap earlier, for example, to make sure that they've built up enough sleep pressure again before they go to bed. So yeah, play play with these kinds of things and, and see what works. Yeah, those are some great tips. And I guess for people who maybe are having poor sleep or just even trying to manage that, we hear a lot of, I guess, talk about health monitoring devices or there's apps for everything. Like are there resources or tools that are really good to help people with monitoring or managing their sleep? Things like Apple Watches, do they even add any value for this sort of thing? Mm. Yeah, look, it depends on the person. I would say that if you are someone who tends to get a little bit sort of stressed and anxious around the sleep that you are or are not getting, then potentially having a device enforcing that may not be the best way to go. With my clients, I actually tend to use a basically a paper and pencil. Like I go old school. So they actually monitor their sleep through that. And the beauty of that is it's based on your own perception rather than an external device. The other thing to be aware of, and I wear two, um, <laughs> but I don't, I don't monitor my sleep with them and I don't check them every day. That's the trick for me. But also when we're looking at sleep 
and the different stages of sleep, so particularly REM sleep and deep sleep, the devices that we as consumers can buy are not particularly accurate when it comes to that breakdown. So if you're seeing something that is suggesting that your REM sleep is super low, for example, that may not be the case. And from time to time, I do actually look at the statistics from both. And I can tell you that on a single night, these will be vastly different when it comes to the different stages of sleep. So I think it's really important to be aware of that. They can be great in terms of tracking lifestyle behaviors and seeing how that impacts. But I normally recommend to clients that if they are looking at a device, that they're really just looking at the overall sleep and focusing more on actually how they feel. Do you feel mentally refreshed? Do you feel physically refreshed? Rather than relying on this this external data, which may not be accurate. Yeah, that's such a good point to sort of not be ruled by your apps and your phone and and things like that. So is this also sort of where things like, you know, yourself and and how sleep coaching can sort of help educate people? Like what is your role as a sleep coach and what sort of work do you do with people? Yeah, absolutely. So essentially I'm a health coach specializing in sleep and health coaching is all about guiding people to meet their health and wellness goals through lifestyle changes, habit changes. So as a health coach, I essentially work with someone to figure out what exactly they want. Obviously with me, it's quite often better sleep, but there's there's always goals behind that, right? Like there's a reason why someone is actually caring about their sleep. Maybe it's to do with family or business or you know, whatever that might be. So looking at what the actual goals are and then working with someone to actually figure out what is the, I guess, best and I guess quickest way to improve sleep. So I like to work with people and get them sleeping better as soon as possible, but also keeping in mind that habits take time to change. So it's about making small changes spaced out, giving them time to embed, but also working with the client to make sure that it actually fits in with their lifestyle, right? There's no point in me telling a a single mother of three that they need to get outside every morning for a 30-minute walk before, do you know what I mean? So it's very much kind of client-led and Mm -hmm. and really working with the client to figure out what, what do they want and how does it work into their lifestyle. Yeah, I think that's such a great thing. And and even just providing that education, like as we were talking about, just knowing what a lack of sleep is actually doing. So I guess if you had one top tip for people to really take away to help them get a better night's sleep, what would that sort of be for you? Well, I've already shared the morning light, but what I'm going to do is also share another one, another tip that a lot of people have not heard of, but I think it's really useful, particularly because we spend a lot of time in artificial environments, right? So if you are someone who, for whatever reason, is not going to have control of your evening environment, and what I mean by that is, you know, you're going to be somewhere where all of the lights are bright on, maybe you need to work late that day, so you're going to be staring at your computer and there's going to be all this blue light. If you pop outside and actually view the twilight sky, that is going to desensitize you to the effects of artificial light later that evening. And again, it just makes you feel great. So yeah, give that a crack. 
And it's great too, that connection to nature. There's a lot of benefits for that, just being outdoors. (laughs) Absolutely. Flick the shoes off, stand in the grass. Carla, this information is just so helpful and really sort of eye-opening some of those things that we've spoken about. So thank you so much for your time and your strategies. I think that if people even just have a look and maybe reassess how they're feeling each day after their sleep and, you know, if they're having concerns, go and chat to your GP and talk to them about your sleep quality because it can be just so vital for health. Absolutely. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Carla. Pleasure. Thank you. For more information on anything that we have covered today, please get in touch with MS Plus Connect on free call 1800 042 138 or email connect at msplus.org.au. And don't forget to find the MS Podcast on your favourite podcast player, such as Apple, Spotify, Google Play, Overcast, or you can just access the podcast directly on the website, www.msplus.org.au. If you liked the podcast, please leave us a review. 